Good morning, Radiate. Welcome to church this morning. It is such an honor to have you with us today. Thank you for being here for week two of our Remix series. Last week was a great kickoff with seven different communicators that talked about the Radiate Way and the core values that make up Radiate Church. This week is gonna be incredible. If you were here last summer, you remember this guy. You guys fell in love with him. He's a part of the family now. Pastor Nick Dalton is with us today from Jefferson Church in Jefferson, Georgia. Pastor Nick is an amazing leader. He's an amazing man of God, a great husband, a great father. He's a great friend to me. Listen, Radiate, he's bringing an amazing word today as we get to ready to hear what God's gonna speak to us. Here's what I want you to do. At Radiate Church, you heard it last week, we're all about honor. We believe in honoring positions and we believe in honoring people. So if you would, stand to your feet with me real quick today, put your hands together and welcome to the stage, Pastor Nick Dalton. Come on church, let's go. Amen, amen. Well, hey, thank you so much. You guys can be seated. Thank y'all for being with us today at the at Radiate Church, man. I'm just so thrilled to be in Gamecock country. Can I get an amen? I'm not that thrilled. That was a lie. First lie from stage. Um, I, uh, I want to tell you how much I love Pastor Brandon Golf and his wife, uh, Megan. Love them so much. Very thankful for this opportunity that they gave me to um, be here today and just to preach God's word. Uh, I would love to say that I, I, I get here on uh, on some merit that maybe I'm like this great world-renowned awesome speaker leader like he said I was on video but really I'm just here because I'm Pastor Brandon's friend just so y'all know that. Uh, there's there's no real uh, credit to anything but man I'm so excited and as I was talking to my wife uh, Chanel today just the culture the context and just the service of its heart that this entire church has is really unbelievable, and you guys have already deposited so much to me and to my wife today, so give yourselves a hand. Thank you so much for doing that. And let's give Jesus a hand. Come on, somebody. Let's give Jesus a hand. Amen. Well, hey, if you got your Bibles, Matthew chapter 9, or you can use your glow-in-the-dark Bibles, as my son calls it, and uh, you can get that version app out uh, like a lot of people use. And I'm going to pray my iPad battery doesn't die because I forgot to charge it last night. But, hey, that's the type of man that my wife's married to, just so you all know. Uh, be in prayer for her today. Um, I wanted to give you a little bit of a heads up. Uh, first of all, my wife is here with us today. Her name is Chanel, and she's on the front row. Everybody give her a hand for being here. <clears throat> we have three children. Uh, we have Brooklyn, who is nine, and she is daddy's favorite. Don't tell anybody, but she is she is one of my favorite kids in the whole world. That's how I use that. Not my favorite child. What kind of dad do you think I am? No, he's she's one of my favorite kids in the whole world. Uh, then I have Judah, who is five, and Houston, who is two. Houston is here with us today, getting God's word at Radiate Kids, and so we're just so thankful for that. Uh, today, I wanted to start off in Matthew chapter nine, but I want to just kind of preface what we're going to do today. Uh, the Lord kind of gave me uh, three sermons that I'm going to pack into one. And most people say, oh great, we're going to be here all day. What that means is the louder you are, the more hand claps I get, the more amens I get, the shorter it's going to be. Can I get an amen? And hand clap. There we go. Okay, yeah, you guys got it. You're good. You're good. It's all there. It's kind of three mini sermons um, into one. Um, and, and the way I like to look at it is it's, it's like the three stooges, like the Jonas Brothers and Steph Curry. They're all small and they all come in threes. You know what I'm talking about? Like, so we're just going to kind of, we're going to kind of all give you three mini sermons in this one uh, context. And But I, here's what I do want to say. One of these three points or one of these three sermons 
is for you today. Like, I need you to see that. I need you to see that you're not here just because it's a Sunday and just because it's what you do. And thank God you saved us from dying from fireworks. Thank you, Jesus, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But you're here because God has a specific word for you. I need you to see that. I need you to internalize this. Don't let this be superficial. Don't let it be on the outside. It's for somebody else. This message is for you. Look at your neighbor and say, it's for you. And then look at yourself and say, I don't know how you look at yourself, but look, point to yourself and say, it's for me. Because this message, uh, one of these three points, it hits somebody today. Uh, hopefully it hits you square in the face, just crosshairs right there, and just the Holy Spirit just messes you up today in the best way possible. But more than anything, what I want to do is I want to give you hope. I want to give you hope because that's what Jesus does. That's what he did when he came to this earth. And that's why I love that song they sang at the very end. How many of y'all love Minnie Whitney Houston on stage this morning? Wasn't she great? She you don't need any reverb on that mic. That girl was sm that was great. It was fantastic. Uh, but uh, that song, Holy Ground, is one of my favorite songs um, that we ever got to uh, uh, listen and we implement in our church as well. But the, the reason I love that song is just the hope that it brings, is that lives are healed and hope is found here and now. And we just believe God is going to do that today. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 27, it says, As Jesus went on from there... Two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. Verse 28. When he had gone indoors, the blind man came to him and asked him, Do you believe? And he asked them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they replied, Yes, Lord, we do. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, according to your faith, it will be done to you. And the very first part of verse 30 says it like this, And their sight was restored. Everybody say restored. Their sight was restored. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much again. God, just for the awesome opportunity just to be here a second time. And, and not just two summers in a row, but God, two services just like this. Lord, it's just an amazing thing that you're doing at Radiate Church. And we just believe, God, that growth is going to come and that lives are going to be healed and like hope is going to be found. Just like that song, we prophesy that word over this audience, over this church family here in Elgin, South Carolina today. Now, Lord, we know uh, that, that you create all things, and so you created me. You created my body, my mind, my attributes, everything you've given me, you gave me for a purpose, but God, it's not enough. I cannot um, change a life, just my words, just my thoughts, my the way I preach, the posture that I have. I cannot change a life, but God, you can, your Holy Spirit can, and your word can. So Father, I'm praying that your Holy Spirit and your word combined will change the life of somebody here today. Just like four people gave their life to Jesus in the first service, God, we're believing that you do something great in this service too. And Lord, more than anything, I pray that our lunches, that they be chicken that was once alive, now dead, and deep fried. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of y'all feel the spirit of KFC in this house? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Some Popeyes. <laughs> Church's chicken. Amen. I like that. Hey, we, we start off in Matthew chapter 9. What I, what I love to do with scripture, what I love to do with the Bible is whenever I sit in an audience or I'm listening to a pastor and they immediately go to Greek and Hebrew and, and the dynamics of the, of the passage and the scripture and all that kind of stuff, I enjoy it to an extent, but also I'm like, okay, apply this to me. Maybe explain it so I can get it. And, and the way that I like to say it is a way that I heard another pastor say it, and several other pastors say it, is today I want to put the cookies on the bottom shelf for everybody, okay? I want everybody to get a double stuffed Oreo before you leave today of Jesus' goodness is basically what I want. That's called mega stuff if Jesus is in it. You know what I'm saying? So I I want that for you today, and I feel like that God has given me a grace gift to be able to explain a scripture in such a way that we can apply it to our life, and I believe that gift is going to work today in Jesus' name. In Matthew chapter 9, 
there are two blind men. We don't know their names, don't know their status, but we know, uh, if you know anything about biblical scripture or history, you know that these men were probably, did not have the greatest status in the world, were more than likely outcast in society. When you had a condition that kept you from being normal in that society. Oftentimes, it meant uh, being poor. It meant being destitute. It meant being alone. But these two blind men were together, and they followed him, the Bible says. And the first thing I have to do is look at the Bible and think, did the biblical writer actually think about what he just wrote, that two blind men followed Jesus? My first question is, how did two blind, could not see men follow Jesus? How does that work? Like, how, how, does, how does two blind guys that really probably don't go much of anywhere except for their own little hometown city, maybe, and certain people might help them, but how can they go and how can they follow Jesus? How are blind men following Jesus? And it brings me, this part, part of scripture in Matthew 9, it brings me to my first point that jumps right out at me as soon as I read verse 27, and it's this, that these blind men, they did not allow what they did not have to stop them from following Jesus. That they did not allow the things that they did not have in their life to keep them from following Jesus. And that's what so many of us in this room here today and in the first service, I believed it was true, that so many of us, we allow things that we don't have to keep us from serving in the church. We allow things that we don't have to keep us from going and reaching out for people with, with the message of Jesus. We, we say, because I'm not a great speaker. Well, you don't have to speak to give love of Jesus Christ to somebody. Okay, you can do it in action. You can do it in, in, in deed. You can do it with money. Hello, somebody. You know, you can do it by giving somebody Jesus. There's so many different ways, and there are people that are sitting here right now that you say, because I can't sing like Minnie Whitney, because I can't play guitar like Minnie Slash over there, because I can't play drums like Minnie Carter Beaufort, because you don't even know who he is. Dave Matthews, thank you, because you can't play like him. You say, well, God must not want to use me. I must not have a place in the church because I can't speak like Pastor Brandon because I don't have that presence like he has. I must not be able to do it. So God didn't give me what I need to pursue the life that I have. That's a lie from the enemy. And if you believe that, you're believing in a lie because we should not let what we don't have stop us from pursuing the life that God has for us to live. But that's exactly what happens, is that we get in church, and we say, well, I can't preach. Well, I can't sing. I can't smile. That's a lie. You can smile, okay? On a Sunday morning, everybody smile at me. Come on, let me see. Let me see. Pretty tea. That's what my mom used to say. I'd walk into a room or a, a store, and I'd be scowling because i got to be in a, in a JCPenney or something with my mom, and she'd pop me in the back of the head, and she'd say, smile. I paid for the good money for those teeth. You make sure you show them off. So everybody smile at me. Make sure you know your mama paid good money for those teeth. But you see, you sit there and you say, I don't have what I need to do what God wants me to do. I can't serve like they can. Exactly, you can't serve like they can, but there are other needs that you can serve that they can't do. That God gave you specific talents and abilities, that God gave you two hands. Everybody do your hands like this. Come on, crazy hands, cheerleader hands. Woo, you know? Let's do crazy hands. Let's do feet, just like we're in like we're in our kids right now, you know? God gave you two feet. God gave you ears that work. He gave you eyes that work. And these two men that were an outcast of society because of the condition that they were in, they did not allow themselves to not be able to pursue God simply because of what they didn't have. They found every way they could to follow God. And I want to make that a challenge to everybody here. Find a place to serve. 
Find a place to be used. Find a place. And if there's not one, go to Pastor Brandon, go to Pastor Megan and say, hey, I feel like maybe I could start this. And I guarantee you they'll at least give it some consideration, okay? I promise you. It's just one of those things we cannot allow what we don't have to stop us from pursuing Jesus. That sometimes it just gets to a place where you just got to do everything you can. Brooklyn, uh, my oldest, when she was little, she was one year old, uh, under one year, she was months old, and um, she would not sleep. We had a medical doctor. He was not a, a, a child psychologist or a therapist or anything like that, but when he looked at the situation we were dealing with with Brooklyn, how she was like just a headstrong, you can't really say stubborn because it would like squash their personality, but she was headstrong, let's put it that way. The doctor, when he saw the, what we were dealing with, a medical doctor went, Ooh, like that, <laughs> because she wouldn't sleep. My wife was a nurse at the time at labor and delivery floor at St. Mary's, and babies were her life. And so she worked night shifts. So when she was awake at night, the baby was awake at night. Brooklyn was awake, and then she'd sleep in the day, so Brooklyn would sleep during the day. And when she came out of the womb, that's exactly the same cycle that happened. So she was sleeping in the day, and she was awake at night. Come on, parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? She was like that all the time, and it was a very, very bad case. She would cry in the crib. She'd cry in the bed. She'd cry if you get her up. She'd cry all the time, just screaming, 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 until you walked outside. When you walked outside, all of a sudden she stopped screaming, started looking around, she'd get peaceful, and she'd go to sleep eventually. I cannot tell you how many times I was awake at 3 o'clock in the morning sitting on my porch in my rocket chair with my daughter thinking, if somebody going to come kill me, God, just take us both. You know, like that's what I'm thinking in, in the midst of all that. But I, we, I did everything I could just to get my daughter to sleep. Can I tell you something? Do everything you can to fulfill the purpose-filled life that God has for you. Don't sit in the cheap seats, everybody. Don't just sit so that you can warm up a pew or warm up a chair and just get some free stuff from the... Listen, I'm telling you, do whatever you can do to get to God. And the question is, where are you on that scale? Are you serving or are you sitting? Are you a contributor or are you a consumer? Which one are you? Because God wants us to be contributors. Can I get an Amen. That was sermon number one. This is sermon number two. Verse 27 starts, it says, As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. The very fact that they mentioned him as son of David means something to us in this text and in the context of this story. Because as you know, many people of Jesus' time did not believe he was divine. They believed he was simply just a good man, just had high moral standards, and he was a teacher and a rabbi. And these people would call him Jesus of Nazareth. They would not call him son of David or Jesus or anything like that that would give him any messianic claim to what the prophecies were saying and telling that he was. And so those people, like the religious leaders, they'd call him rabbi, they'd call him teacher, they call him Jesus of Nazareth, again, trying to chain him to his supposedly earthly origins. But then you have these few people, these disciples, these followers, and just so happens these two blind men that see Jesus exactly who he was, that called him son of David. By saying that, they were telling him, we know you're the promised Messiah. We know you're the ones that our ancestors told about. We know you're the one that have we've been waiting on for thousands of years to come and, and, and help us out. We know you're the one from the lineage of David. They knew who Jesus was and they believed that he was the Messiah. Even though they were blind. Even though they were blind, there was something about Jesus that caught their attention in every other sense except their sight. And we sit there and say, God, if I don't see it, I don't believe it. 
But they were at a place where every other area of their life, they saw, they, they didn't see, they knew, they understood, they could feel, they could hear. I don't know what Jesus smelled like, but they could smell, you know, that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the son of David. They saw those things. The second thing I want to show you today is that the God you see is the God you'll get. The God that you see is the God that you're going to get. Because some people just saw Jesus as a carpenter. Just some kind of anomaly, just some outlier that, you know, he was, he was just knew the Bible a lot. And he just had this great understanding of Scripture. But there were so many of those before Jesus ever came that they just labeled him as a carpenter. They saw Jesus as the local Home Depot. Like, that's what they saw him as, right? Like, if you need something fixed, go to him. If you need a table made, go to him. If you need a chair made, go to him. That's what they saw him as. But there were some people that saw Jesus and saw him as the Messiah, saw him as the son of David, saw him as the healer, and saw him as the miracle worker that he was, including these two blind men who could not see him but knew he was the Messiah. There are people in this room that you've got to get to that. You've got to understand the God you see is the God you get. And the, there are people here that you see Jesus as a Savior, and that's great because that's exactly what he is. But that's not it. If you only see Jesus as a Savior, and I'll put it to you this way. If you only see Jesus as fire insurance to get you out of hell, you are missing out on that large portion of the life that God has for you in this life. I'm telling you that, that when you see Jesus, not only as Savior, and, it's, and that's, that's the biggest miracle of all. Let me tell you, if God didn't do one more thing for you, the fact that he sent Jesus and that you can receive him by faith and not have to live eternity in hell, that's enough. But that's not the God I serve. I serve the God of more than enough. That he gives you more than you deserve and more and more grace poured on us. Every single day, mercies are new. Every single morning, the Bible says, that's the God that we serve and that's the God that I serve, but some people only see him as Savior, only call out to him as Savior, and that's as far as they'll go. They're missing out on so much because the Bible says he's a provider. The Bible says he provides things you don't even know you needed, that, that you're going to go your whole life and never even think to thank God, even though God gave it to you because he's your provider, and that's just what he does. The Bible says he's not only a savior, not only a provider, but he's a healer. That's what the Bible says. My Bible says that. Because did you know that all throughout Scripture, and I don't have time to unpack this fully, but all throughout Scripture, wherever it's mentioned in salvation, if salvation's mentioned in the verse, very, very commonly, healing is mentioned in the next sentence. Because when Jesus died for your sins, he didn't just die to save you from your sins, he died to heal you from your diseases. Hence the verse, by your stripes you are healed. By his stripes you're healed. Psalms 103, it says, forget not the Lord and all his benefits who saves you from your sins and heals you of your diseases. I love the message version. It says, it saves you from your sins, every single one. I need that. Like, I need to know that no matter what I've done, God has forgiven me. It's okay. Condemnation is gone. Satan, get behind me. But I also need to know that because in the message, it then continues, and it says, he heals you from all your diseases, every single one. That he's a healer, everybody. That he's a way maker. Miracle worker. You know, like that, that song, Light in the Darkness. you. Y'all don't get that in South Carolina. Okay, we get that in Georgia. Uh, but then it says he's our rock. Isaiah speaks of that. He says he's, 
He's the rock of our salvation. He's the rock of everything that we stand on. And everything else is just not even, not even capable of containing what we need to be in our life and where we need to stand. But you see, we can be in, this, in the same church, the same building, listening to the same pastor, talking about the same God, and get two completely different twists on the story. Because the God you see is the God that you get. My, my wife, beautiful Chanel, she, everybody sees her and they say, oh, well, she's chic, you know, she's uh, she cute. What's up, girl? You cute. You know, like, don't say that to my wife. I get upset. But she'd say, she'd say uh, oh, man, she's pretty and all this kind of stuff. I see her as something different. I see her as a mom. I see her as a hot mom. Come on, somebody. She, she, yeah, she, okay, yeah. She's, she's this beautiful, beautiful girl that is this amazing mother, amazing person, amazing uh, uh, a spiritual leader in our church and to the ladies in our community. I mean, that's what I see her as. And if I see her that way, then that, that explains the relationship that I have with her. But you see her differently. Because the way you see God determines what you're going to get out of God. It determines how you believe in God. Verse 28 says, when he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Jesus asked them, do you believe I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. My question is, why would Jesus ask them? These are two blind men going out of their way to follow Jesus. The next step in that equation is they want a healing. Why would, why would Jesus go to the step? Why would he ask us? Everything in Scripture is there on purpose. So I'm just saying this isn't just there because they're trying to add to the story. There's a reason that Jesus asked this specific question, and it was recorded to us, and we're reading it today. Why did Jesus say, do you believe I'm able to do this? This is what I think. I think Jesus asked that because he was checking to see if these men came to him out of a season of desperation or because they really believed and they had faith that he was going to do something about it. Because oftentimes what happens in our life is we will come to Jesus out of desperation as opposed to coming to him out of faith. We come to him because everything's so bad and it's awful and it's terrible and God, I don't know what to do. And I, like, we cry and we get all upset. I'm just here to tell you, God does not respond to tears. God doesn't respond to crying. God doesn't respond to yelling. God doesn't respond to anger. God responds to faith. That's what the Bible says. That what moves God is not your emotions. What moves God is not your situation per se. What moves God is the faith that you have in him. And so these men, they were asked of Jesus, do you believe that I can do this? Because when you come to Jesus, and you come to him out of that season of desperation, that desperate season of your life will allow you to go looking for all the answers in every single place that you can possibly look for and keep you from going to Jesus exclusively. When you're truly desperate, when, you're, when, you, when you are really in that season of life where you just don't know, um, and look, look at the woman at the well, right, in, in, in the book of Mark. The woman at the well, she is at the well, and Jesus says, look, I know your life has been desperate. Why? Because you've been trying to fill it with every single relationship, with every single guy that will even look at you. That's basically what he's saying. And I want to say that to everybody here today, that are you in a place, in a season of desperation, and maybe that's why you're in church, and maybe that's why you pray, and maybe that's why you read your Bible, because there's a desperate season in your life, but as soon as the season ends, do you come back to church? Do you keep reading your Bible? Do you keep praying? Or does it slack off a little bit? 
Jesus is in this moment asking, do you believe I can do this? Not, are you so desperate that you want me to touch you? Obviously, they were two blind men looking for sight, but he was not asking, are you desperate? He was asking, do you have the faith to believe that I can do what I say I can do? And that's what Jesus is asking us today. He said the same thing to Peter. After the crucifixion, Peter, in a, in a moment, in a season of desperation and confusion in his life, he goes back to doing what he used to do, and that's exactly what some of us do. Whenever things don't work out right and God doesn't answer the prayer just like we think he should or, or God just seems to be silent in this area and we're just he's asking for us to press on and press on and push through and pray, but we get tired of it and we get to that season of our life that we've all been in at one point, form, shade, or another. We get to that place in our life where there's this desperation there and we're just trying to fill it with stuff. Peter tried to fill it with what he used to do, and that's what some of us do. We relapse, not into drugs, but maybe back into old addictions. We relapse into old ways of thinking. I'm not good enough. We relapse into things like, well, maybe he left because maybe I really am exactly what he said I was. Or maybe she really left because I'm exactly what she... We, we relapse into this way, and that's exactly what Peter did. But what did Jesus do? Jesus sat on the beach with him and gave him, gave him the, the modern-day Chick-fil-A. Is basically what he did. He's sitting there giving him Chick-fil-A, but it's fish. But he gave him Chick-fil-A, and he's sitting there, and he's telling him, look... Do you love me? Yes, Jesus, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, Jesus, I love you. Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, Jesus, I love you. Then feed my sheep. Out of that moment of desperation, he spoke purpose into Peter's life. But it was all because Peter had the faith to know who Jesus was. And he spoke that, and he saw that, and received that. So the Bible says that these two blind men, they replied, Yes, Lord, we believe that you can. Verse 29, And Jesus touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, or as a consequence of your faith. How many of you know everything has consequences, including good things? I want to be a part of the good consequences of life. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I want to be a part of the faithful few that get the faithful consequences of life. And the Bible says that according to your faith, or as a consequence of your faith, it will be done to you. Why did it happen for these two men? Number one, because they saw Jesus the right way. They saw him as God, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, the Healer, the Waymaker, the Rock. They saw him the right way. That's the first reason. The second reason this happened is because they came out of a feeling of faith, not desperation. They came out of a place of, God, I know you can, I believe you can, and I want to see you do it. But here's the scary thing about it. It says, according to your faith, it will be done. If they were to come to him out of desperation or if they were to come to him as Jesus of Nazareth instead of uh, Jesus, the Son of God, they would have walked and lived their entire life with blindness when God intended to heal them. And there's people in this room right now that God wants to do something great for you in your life, maybe a physical healing, maybe spiritual, maybe mental, maybe, maybe financially or relationally. God wants to heal you in your life. The question is, how do you see God, and are you coming to him out of faith or desperation? Because God responds to faith, not desperation, not emotions. That these men, had they not come to God in that way, would they have been healed? I don't know. The, the scripture doesn't tell us the, the consequences of that. But, but it, it does say that, that I, I believe that even when they came forward, that if they had not been healed, they still would have been good men. They still would have lived good lives. They still would have sat in a church and been saved and probably gone to heaven. But because they saw Jesus for who he was, and because they stepped up and believed in him and with faith, because of that, their lives were forever changed. 
And I believe that somebody here needs that life-changing ability to come into them. Because that's exactly what this church does. Listen to me. This church breathes life into people. This church breathes life into a community. This church, this pastor, this pastoral staff, they work tirelessly every single day of every single week to move forward and to get people to see Jesus for who he really is. And when you can reveal that to people, all of a sudden their life changes and hope comes. And when you can reveal, hey, it's not about desperation, it's not about tears, it's not about anger, it's not about emotions, it's about the faith that you have in your life. When you, when you begin teaching that and seeing that in your life, that through the word of the speaker on this, on this stage and through this pastor and through this church, that you're giving this community life that Jesus talked about in John 10.10, 10, life to the full, life to the extreme that a lot of people are not living, maybe even they're, they're here today not living that life. That this church does that. The life that God requires for us to live is a faith-filled life. A faith-filled life. Pastor Chris, you can come. That believing God for the impossible is what he's really asking you. When was the last time, look, look at me everybody, when was the last time you asked God for the impossible? When was the last time you dreamed something that you knew you couldn't do and then you just asked God about it? It says in Hebrews, it says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Then it says in the book of James, I, I love James. James is my favorite book in the Bible. It's like the, it's like the meat and potatoes of the word of God. He says, if you pray a prayer without faith, why would you expect for the prayer to be answered? That it's, it's not prayers that get answered. Listen to me. It's faith-filled prayers that get answered. So you've been, maybe you've been praying for so long, maybe you've been questioning for so long, God, why is this not happening? Well, maybe it's because you don't see Jesus for who he really is. And maybe it's because there's not faith coming from the inside. I'll prove it to you. That in the book of Mark chapter 5, there's a woman with the issue of blood. And she comes to Jesus and, and she says, Jesus, I, I need you to do this for me. I, I need you to help me. And, and she's, she's making her way through the crowd. And she has faith in believing that God can heal her. And all she has to do is touch him. When there's hundreds, maybe thousands of people just trying to get a, a, a feel, a touch of Jesus. And so she touches him. She's healed. And Jesus says, wait a minute. Somebody touched me and power left. Something happened. Something moved. Something felt different. And the disciples said, wait a minute. Everybody's touching you, Jesus. What do you mean somebody touched you? He said, yeah, but this felt different. Why? Because faith feels different. It feels different. I'm telling you right now, I, as a 32-year-old minister of the gospel, being in the ministry for 10 years, I can tell you a prayer that is prayed and a prayer that is prayed in faith, it's different. Per, a person that just worships and a person that worships in faith, it's different. A person that, that praises God and a person that praises in faith, it's different. It feels different. A faith-filled life is different. And that's what Jesus sees, and that's what he saw in these two blind men. That was sermon number two. The last sermon is the shortest of the three. Some might say amen. <laughs> Why did the writer, in the first part of verse 30, he touched them? And he said this, and it said, and their sight was restored. Their sight was restored. Why, why, why would the writer put that there? Again, I believe the Bible's there for a reason. Everything's there. Why, why would it say restored? Because if you think about it, 
restored has a meaning or a reference of having something before and it was taken away. So why would the Bible say their sight was restored? I think it's because at one time in their life, they had sight. They could see. All throughout Scripture, Mark chapter 10, Jesus healed, didn't restore, healed blind Bartimaeus. Mark chapter 5, the woman with the issue of blood, Jesus made her whole. Didn't restore, he made her whole. But in this instance, he restores. Jesus restored. I think it's because they could see at one time, but something took their sight from them. And I think of all three sermonettes, I think this is the one that kind of catches everybody in the crosshairs. Because we all go through life, and life beats us down, and life hits us, and things happen, and, and you just lose your sight. You lose that vision. You lose that purpose. You lose that drive. You, you, just, you lose those things that you used to have in your life. And, and in previous seasons of your life, you believed God for certain things and knew he was going to do it. But then time passed, and age came. Relationships came and gone, and you know maybe maybe the the business didn't work out, the divorce happened, and now all of a sudden you've been blinded from what God really wants you to see, from what God really wants you to be, and the life He really wants you to live in your life. Listen to me, you can be following Jesus and still be blind. That's what Matthew nine just taught us. These two blind men following Jesus had faith, had trust, had hope, going to heaven, but they were blind. You could be sitting in this audience right now and be blind from what God really wants you to see. You can be serving on the stage, serving in kids, serving back. You, could, you can be anywhere and be blind from the life that God wants you to have. So what's caused the blindness in your life? What's caused it? What's caused you to not see Jesus for who he really is? What's caused you to not pray those faith-filled prayers anymore? I, th I think it's one of two things. Blindness comes from injury or disease. Injury or disease. Injury being something happened to you that took your sight from you. Somebody hurts you, and there's bitterness, and I'm telling you right now, bitterness will blind you faster than anything else. There's, there's stress in your life, and stress and anxiety will blind you from the purpose of God more than anything else. I, I really believe stress and anxiety will leak the faith out of you because you're so focused on that that you cease to focus on the faith-filled scriptures that God's given us and the word that he's given us that's true. So it's, it's an injury that's happened to you, maybe, but I also think there's people in here, it's the disease that's lost, allowed you to lose your sight, and that disease is sin. You gave your life to Jesus, you surrendered your life to him, or maybe you're here for the first time and, and, and you've never given your life to Jesus. Sin blinds us from what God has for us in our life. It literally separates us from what God has for us. That one time that addiction was gone and it was under control and it was in the claws and it was over and done with, but now it's starting to creep back up. And now it's starting to kind of show up its nasty head all over again. My question is, what's blinded you today? Could you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment? Even blind people can follow Jesus, but 
I'm here to tell you Jesus wants to heal you of your blindness. I'm here to tell you that Jesus wants to, what he did in Matthew chapter 9, he wants to restore your sight. I believe I'm talking to somebody today that God put a business idea in your mind. And you tried, and you maybe went and got the loan, or you maybe tried to save for the money, and just things happened. The car broke down, the house, the roof, all this stuff, the kids, whatever it was, and it, you just pushed it off to the side. I believe God's going to re uh, he's going to bring some dreams back into your life that you're going to allow to see that vision and God's going to lift up the blinders and you're going to be able to see that again. I believe that there's relationships in this room that you've put on the shelf, that son, that daughter, that best friend from high school, from college, that hurts you, that, that blinded you, that you have bitterness over, maybe bitterness that you have unconfessed bitterness towards, that you need to confess to God and get right with them. I believe when you do that, God's going to restore sight to you and vision and purpose to you in your life. So I wonder who today needs their sight restored. Who today needs a fresh vision and a fresh purpose and a fresh understanding because either injury's taken it from you or the disease of sin has taken it from you. We're all on a level playing field today. Nobody is better than anybody else. Nobody's got it all figured out. Even the ones on this stage, we're all just on the same playing field right now. We all need something. But maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Nick, I need to give my life to Jesus. For me to see, I need for Jesus to restore my sight. I need Jesus, I need to be able to see Jesus for who he really is, that he's the son of God, and I have faith to believe that he can heal me and he can save me. If that's you today, four people in the first service gave their life to Jesus. Maybe, maybe you're here and you say, well, I've given my life to Jesus, but I'm so far the opposite direction. I don't know which way is up or down or sideways. I don't know. And I need to make a fresh start today. If that's you and you're asking for Jesus to save you or to help you with a fresh start, if that's you, heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just lift your hand and say, hey, Pastor Nick, that's me. Would you pray for me? Anybody here today say, I want to give my life to Jesus. There's one. Anybody else? Anybody else? There's two. Anybody else? Say, I want to give my life to Jesus today. The Bible says to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved. It's a matter of faith and belief in who Jesus is, that he is the Son of God. And so I'm going to ask you to repeat a prayer after me. This prayer just, it just merely helps you. It points you in the direction towards Jesus. This prayer does not save you. You're the faith that Jesus has given you by grace through faith, you've been saved today to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. But you're not going to do it alone. If you raise your hand, if you were one of those two that raised your hand today, you're not going to do it alone. Your whole church family is going to repeat this prayer with you today, and that's just a sign of us coming together as a family. So audience, would you repeat this prayer after me as those that raise their hand repeat it and believe with everything they have. Say, Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, my mistakes, and my mess-ups. Say, God... I know that I'm a bad person and I've done bad things, but right now, none of that matters because I'm giving my present to you, I'm giving my past to you, and I'm giving my future to you right now in the name of Jesus. Save me. Make me whole. 
Forgive me of my sins. I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, I pray for the ones that, God, they just need to sight restore. They've been following, but, God, they need a purpose. They need a change. They need energy. They need, God, just a restart and a reset in their life. Would you, would you just allow the vision to come back to them? Would you just restore their sight? David says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. You'd restore that dream. You'd restore that calling, that burden that they had. You'd restore the good things that you want for their life so that they can live a life for you. Thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.